Don Rahul Jimenez. How amateur is that? Like, you don't even see that down in the park. If they, if they lose, it provides great content. I am supporting every team that plays break. I'm not making a documentary this year about how shit my club is. Mudman, thank you as always. Who would you rather lose it to, by the way, me or Johnny? That's somebody's choice. <laughs> Good evening and welcome back to the Football Bubble. Uh, Sunday the 7th of March 2021. Um, well, what a, what a weekend it's been, especially if you're of uh, Manchester United fandom and also Glasgow Rangers fandom. Um, you've had a decent one. Uh, we'll get into that. Uh, Manchester United beating Man City all again. I think he, that's a record now. Three times he's beaten Pep, possibly away from home. It's the first time Manchester United manager done that. Steven Gerrard got Rangers a league title. Um, they've waited very long for it. Some will say they've waited forever because it's a new club. Some will say not. I'm not getting into that. Um, and then we'll talk about Liverpool's stunning fall from grace what's been going on there and a few other things i'm joined tonight uh, as always by steve hey hello steven hello phil uh the brain is in the room hello mr patrick Renshaw. well chops oh dear oh dear patty needs a hug <laughs> and then we're joined by the boss man the tall one breton hello breton good evening <laughs> good evening um where do you want to start uh, this evening, gents, where do you want to start with the Manchester Derby that's just finished, or do you want to start with Liverpool's fall from grace? Has to be, has to be the Manchester Derby, I think, doesn't it? Get it out of the way. Uh, yeah. Let's go with it. Um, Stephen. Yes. Another win for Solskjaer against Pep. How does he keep doing this? Uh, well, I think they're set up. Like, obviously. Winning a penalty after 34 seconds absolutely plays into Manchester United's hands because Solskjaer's entire system is to get teams to come at him. I actually thought they played quite well for the first 10 minutes of the first half and they played really well for the first 20 minutes. They, they could have scored three or four, to be honest. They were a bit... They they wasted a couple of really good four-on-three breaks um, after they got the second goal. Um, I think... It's what I said last week. I think City, because they've coasted so much in games, I think they're a bit mentally frail. And I do think that every time they've conceded more than one goal this season, they've lost. And I, there's something about wh- when you're just consistently winning and winning and winning and everything feels a bit easy. The second things get a little bit hard, um, it's a bit of a struggle. And I do think, uh, like, as soon as uh, Fernandez put that penalty away, I had no doubts that United were winning that game because they just... They just lack a bit of fight. There's something just sterile about about this city team, and we were talking about last week. Like obviously, it was impressive the 21 wins in a row, but it didn't feel that good either. It didn't look like a great team to watch. They were winning games one and two nil, and they were getting the job done. Uh, and fair play to them for that. Like that's obviously an achievement in itself. It's a lot better to beat West Brom than it is to concede a last minute goal and ditto Everton and stuff like that. So I think Solskjaer has like we saw with PSG. In the Champions League earlier in this season, we've seen against City three times in a row now. Um, at the at the Etihad, that he can win one-off big games. The problem the problem is he drops points against Sheffield United and he drops points against you know mediocre teams. And it's all well and good, uh, you know. Phil and I know from the Oakland Raiders in American football, it's all well and good being really good against the very best. If you're going to drop points against the middle of the pack because that's not how you win titles you win titles by beating as many teams as you can around you and you know you just don't they're not ready to challenge with this manager they can't challenge for a title but they can continue to win these one-off games and that's why i'm not getting too carried away with like obviously it's great to beat city and it's great to you know stop them on this run and things like that but i have no kind of like I'm not thinking it's the start of possibly another title challenge or anything like that. I think it's the gap is too big, and the reason the gap is too big is because they're just not cut out to to challenge for a title. So, but therefore, what did you make of? Like, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say. Therefore, is it like kind of 
does it annoy you a bit that he wins these games? Because, because it's, yeah, no, I think we've spoken with him before. It, it like, he's consistently going to, yeah, he's consistently going to get you know into the top four. He's consistently going to pull off these big wins in in the Champions League if they qualify and big one off wins. But I ultimately just struggle like to to actually put trophies in the cabinet. And you know, United are likely given the run-ins to finish second this year. I'd be surprised if they didn't finish second at this stage, especially after that result. Um, and it doesn't, but it doesn't feel like they ran City close in any way because they haven't. It just, it's such a weird feeling to be coasting along at a level that you know that Liverpool at their best would be miles ahead of, that you know that Arsenal even, you know, with maybe a different manager would probably be ahead of Chelsea once they get rolling under Tuchel, I think, are going to be ahead of this level that United play at. So they're a top four team, but it's nothing more than that with Solskjaer as a manager. I was, someone asked me, like, what did I think of it? Was it the manager or the players? I'm absolutely convinced that Alex Ferguson runs away with the league with his squad. I think the squad is good enough to challenge for titles. It's just the manager's not good enough. And, like, he gets he sets them up well in these games, but it's almost like he considers these games differently than he does Fulham or West Brom or Everton or whatever the case may be. Like he, I, I don't understand his mindset going in certain games. And when you see what and I will get on to Liverpool obviously shortly, like but when you see the run they've had at home, when you consider how he set you know it up for that game at Anfield. It's a dereliction of duty as a manager to be that negative against a team that we're clearly, we already knew we're playing way below the level we expect. And it's just, it's that frustrating thing that I know that non United fans are equally as, un, as equal, are equally as happy with that result this evening as some United fans are because they know it's <laughs> the type of result that keeps Solskjaer in the gig. And like, it's just such a weird, weird position to be in. Because yeah, it's brilliant to beat City, and it's you know delay their march to the title and all of that thing. Like, don't get me wrong, it's great. And I thought, I actually thought, you know, Luke Shaw played really well. It's the best I've seen Anthony Martial play in a long, long time. There was some definitely some positives from it, but the main negative is that it does keep Solskjaer in a job for probably another season. And like, what do you do? Like, because they're never going to challenge for a title with him as the boss, and so it's that part is frustrating. Brenton, how good was Luke Shaw today for Manchester United? Extremely good. Um, <clears throat> I was worried for him actually. Um, well, after the penalty went in, um, and said he kind of shook it off and got their got their act together. Um, Marius went at him a couple of times and and sold him a few times. Um, and I think um, the final ball just wasn't great or, or something like that. And there was a moment, it was just maybe before half time, that Luke Shaw sat down um, on the byline. And I thought, I think Gary Neville said something about he might be feeling an injury or something, but it looked like he was just absolutely bait. Um, <laughs> and I thought, uh oh, like this is because he, he obviously has had his fitness issues in the past. Like, and I just thought Mars was running him ragged. Um, but uh, like after that, uh, he was the best player on the pitch. Uh, it was you could see him like anytime City didn't look in the second half at all, they didn't really look like scoring. Um, and United weren't too threatened. And then when United did break away, you, you know, there was there was a lot of times where the United could have scored more. There was a lot of times where they had you know four on three and five on four at the back, and he was always there bombing alongside Rashford. Um, and I think City actually had to make a change. They brought on Kyle Walker because Cancelo just wasn't dealing with it down there um, because he was just overloading that side. And then for his goal, it was it was such a good first touch. Um, Henderson threw it out to him and um, it bounced just in front of him and the, the chest he took away from Cancelo just left him for dead and he continued on his run. And he had a chance in the first half. I think it fell onto his right foot and he just sort of dribbled it in into the hands of Ederson but this one he really he caught it and he didn't hit it that hard but where where he placed it like no keeper was getting it um, he just swiped it into the bottom corner and he deserved that goal because he was really working hard up and down that line and he they tightened up that side um, 
and there wasn't too many chances City created on on his side in the second half. Um, but also it was it was just his energy going the other way too. Really, really impressive. I'd have given him man think, of the match. I think that yeah, the not getting man of the match was like Martial played well, but like Shaw was man of the match. I think it's worth pointing out that throw from Henderson um, that set that move up. Um, David De Gea doesn't throw the ball there. David De Gea throws the ball behind him because he's not. He, that's one of his. <laughs> but he does like his distribution has been really. Like, people go on about him flop, flopping at shots or whatever. Like, but his actual it's his distribution has been the biggest issue I've had with De Gea for a while now. He's not. He's not spotting those kind of runs. And the way Henderson threw the ball was like I think Roy Keane called it out in in the analysis after the game. Like. Shaw had no choice but to attack the ball. And his touch was brilliant, like with his chest to control it the way he did. Uh, it was really, really good. So, yeah, I, I, I agree there that I thought he was man of the match. And he did look like he was, he did look like he might go off early. But I think Tellez has been such a great signing for Shaw. And it's just, it's a shame that, you know, he can't seem to squeeze the two of them in. And I don't know whether that might mean putting Tellez further forward. Um, because I think he can't has a decent cross in him as well. Like So I, I would like to see the two of them eventually on the same side um but it's been remarkable for luke shaw's career because i honestly thought he was done at start year i think i on my first appearance on this podcast i described him as you know three kids disguised as a professional footballer uh, um, and it's been it's, he's, he's you know he obviously listens you know to podcasts and he's showing me so it's interesting as well steve that that um you mentioned Dean Henderson there because obviously he's come in today. He's looked really solid. He's, he's actually looked really solid in time he's played at Manchester United, and he was super last year for for Sheffield United. Do you think this is the game where he's he sort of claimed that jersey now for the rest of the season? Oh, it's going to be harsh and hey, like to to lose your spot because your your partner has had a child and you've had to you know go into quarantine after going for the birth of your child. Like that's yeah. just really hard, but like. Finders keepers, yeah, that's sports, yeah, exactly. Like, you mean, like, Henderson has to do something to lose the jersey. I think at this stage, it can't be a case of De Gea just coming in and and taking it back. Um, because he did nothing wrong today, I thought he was he was controlled under crosses. I was a little bit worried there was a free kick out on the left, and De Bruyne looked like he was going to swing it into the near post, and he hadn't covered that angle at all the shot and so that was a little bit naive or whatever but at the same time I thought he was fine and I thought he was really really good last year Um, so I was glad when he came back from loan Um, but yeah I think it is his jersey to lose even if it like for De Gea it's a really tough way to lose your starting spot Paddy um, a result like this and and obviously a performance and and this isn't me being a pretty fan having a go at my narrative but getting beat by Manchester United as, as Steve said who failed to do it against a really poor pull side this season and, and have we've seen have a, a dip and have been up and down. Do you think this sort of highlights for a lot of people how if this city side comes up against Bayern Munich or, or PSG in the Champions League, they, they yet again they're gonna come short? Quite quite possibly, you know, um obviously they've been on an incredible run. Um but you know, haven't haven't really faced a, a real challenger. They faced Liverpool side it's a shadow of themselves, and uh, you know they, they put away a couple of teams, Everton and uh, and Chelsea. But uh, I think that you know United really put it up them today, and you know the so far is a great record against them. They were fantastic last season as well. So you know it might be that if, if City are put under pressure, you know they're always touted as bottlers in Europe, um, and maybe if someone does executes a game plan the same way United did today that maybe they'll struggle I, I thought although I only listened to the first part of the game on the radio and then watched the second half I thought United were very good as Steve said there was a number of times that they, they managed to get four on threes against City um, and things didn't quite come off but they looked so threatening and even going backwards there was one stage that City broke and you know, I think it was maybe two or three City players against six Manchester United players but Rashford still ran back and made an unbelievable tackle. You know, it just shows the, the sort of level of, of the sort of determination and doggedness that United had today. So, uh, absolutely phenomenal result for them. Probably cementing themselves as the, the second best team in the league this season and, and comfortably looks like they'll qualify for the, for the Champions League. But, as you said, it'll be interesting to see what happens if City, City 
get plum draws in Europe and have done so far in this tournament at a very straightforward group. And now I have Borussia Mönchengladbach, who they'll sweep aside. Um, if they get a difficult quarterfinal draw, it'll be it'll be interesting, definitely. Right. Steve, can I ask? Pat, sorry. Oh, sorry. Can I just ask? No, go ahead. Steve, do you think Solskjaer... Like, do you think he does... I know people say Ole Masterclass and they're taking the piss, but... <laughs> He actually set them up, and he did for like massive games like that, and he does for like say Crystal Palace. Like, is there something he does specifically for Man City in that game today, or is it literally just it suits them more because they're going to be countering more? I thought they played a higher. I thought the back four played higher than they normally do, so he definitely set that up differently. Um, they played about 10 yards up the pitch higher than they would normally do and they were inviting balls from City over the top that City just don't play because that's not the way they play football they try to pass through you and I thought that set them up kind of for success but I do think the main thing was you know United are, are under Solskjaer a counter-attacking team so when you're 1-0 up in the first couple of minutes it's obviously going to help but like <laughs> you know, he reminds me of the guy who puts on a suit to play in the Champions League final when he's doing football manager because he really does like he does like he, he has these he has these really really good coaching performances in them. like the the PSG game in Champions League and I hate going back to it because it's, it's months and months ago but that was a coaching masterclass he absolutely completely outcoached um, PSG and Tuchel on the other side I thought it was brilliant, I thought it was phenomenal and he's done this, like he tried to do it last week against Chelsea where you know he, he was playing around with the team sheet and who was fit and who wasn't fit and it didn't work but like the, the top process was there that he does consider these you know top six or, or European games as different than your run of the mill Premier League games I think in some ways that's a positive but when you see the the some of the the drop points they have again in games they really shouldn't be dropping points. That's where that's where it's the negative because he doesn't seem to get as like enthused about playing Fulham or you know playing whoever in, in around the middle of the table. Arsenal, say for example, like he just doesn't seem to. <laughs> yes, very enough. That's why um, he doesn't seem to like just statement the fact that they're in the middle of the table. Um, he just. If he treated every game like he treats these big six games, people will joke that, oh, well, then we'd finish the season every game. They'll nil. But, like, his number one goal in these games is not conceding. Like, it absolutely is his number one goal because he knows that if you know you go behind, then they can't play the football he wants them to play. So, first and foremost, for first and foremost, it's defensive. And then from there, they try to build. And they do they do this interesting thing where they play in spurts. We saw it today. Like, they, they play the first 10 minutes, like, really heavy pressed. Um, you know, everyone tracking back. Like, everyone kind of running themselves ragged. And they start at the second half, the same first kind of 15, 18 minutes of the second half doing the same. And then they take some, like, they set back. And he's obviously inspired by Klopp in that because you know that's part of the way Klopp's philosophy is that you have these these moments in games where you're more active than in others or whatever and so you can get a sense that there's there's a hint of an identity there there's a hint of something that they can build on but I just we've had two and a half seasons of it now where we know that in the run you're running the middle Premier League game against Burnley or against Aston Villa it's not going to be as he's not going to put as much thought into his coaching plan as he has if it's Man City or if it's Liverpool or whatever, and that's the disappointing thing because you should be treating all thirty eight games equally, and he he clearly doesn't. Paddy. Steve, what would he what would he have to show Manchester United fans to sort of be accepted and for people to think that he is the man to take the team forward? Like what what? What do you need to see next season, for example, that's going to change everyone's view? At Seems like he's sort of a pigeonhole as this sort of bit of a joke figure or something. I, I just don't know what he can do. Yeah, like it's going to be hard for me because I've I've been kind of I don't know why you'd pick the former Cardiff City manager to be your next boss. You know, I was I've been against them from the start, so maybe that influences some of what I'm saying or whatever. But I think we spoke last week about him treating nil nil as a positive 
result. I think if he gets out of that mindset, like I think that would be much better. Like it's you know yourself, it's much better to win two games and lose one than draw three games. It's simple maths. Like it just is better to do that. Like so, I would rather they turn some of the scoreless draws into defeats if it means that you know some of them turn into wins as well. I think that's one thing I'd like to see. I think the other thing is that like. He is convinced that Maguire is undroppable. And Maguire was all right today. He was grand. He didn't really have to do much. But too many times, Harry Maguire is the issue in defence. Um, and I think if he was stronger there, and, and I know he's the club captain, I get that. But if he was willing to show that he could, he, he can drop Maguire, I think he'd actually get better performance out of um, Harry Maguire. Because you know yourself, like if you're coasting in any job, you're not going to try as hard because you know that like it's there's no one there to replace you or whatever. So those are two things I'd like to see him being a bit stricter with um with Maguire in terms of whether he's droppable or not um and not taking nil nil. And I I I never want to see Madich and Fred as a centre midfield uh, pairing again ever. Um, Paddy, unfortunately, it's your time now. To step up, um, no, we have to do it. We have to not even rip that bandaid, like, uh, just like pour two liters of Dettol on an open wound and then watch it just burn and sizzle. Um, this is happening like I'm in the, in the green mile, and you're the boy, like, not putting the wet sponge on my head. <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's happening. Uh, free fall is well, it's their dust, um. What happened today against Fulham, Paddy? And then was maybe we'll talk about what is going on with this Liverpool team at the minute. What 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 happened today? What can you even say anymore? Like just it just keeps getting worse. Like I saw the we were speaking before recording that uh, I was out today. I just only listened to the, I got the first half in the radio in the car and then watched most of the second half. But even Pat Nevin was doing the radio commentary and he was astounded by the amount of times Fulham were getting in behind um, over Nico Williams' side. He was pushing up quite high and it's like fundamentally we, we couldn't grasp that or, or make changes in game to try and neutralise Fulham. And from the radio, it sounded like the goal was just coming. You could just feel it building. Um, it's just it's so frustrating and there's only so much crying about injuries you can do um and i'm still going to cry about them team selection i think it was possibly to try and well with wednesday in mind is probably our most realistic possibility of champions league qualification as it stands it's probably to win the thing but the likelihood of us beating someone like psg or Bayern munich is pretty laughable at the moment team selection we basically had a an under 23s Three quarters of an under twenty threes defense. Uh, it was like a, it was like a Johnson's paint, you know, the under twenty three team playing on it. It was like, you know, Nico Williams, who was a, a winger slash attacking midfielder, who's been converted to a fullback, and he can play. He's good going forward, but he has always looked ropey at the back. Uh, Nathaniel Phillips is probably a championship defender. Um, Reese Williams. Seems like he has some tools to be good, but probably isn't fast enough to be a Premier League centre half, and is really inexperienced as well. Like that's not his fault. And then Robertson was trying to sort of knit all that together, along with including in the sort of wider back five, someone whose dad has just died tragically and couldn't return to the funeral. Like it's just, uh, it was just it was hard to see that going well today. Um, the midfield just looked one pace. Like my brother watched the game, he said. You know, Milner sort of showed his age. Kaida's coming back from injury. It was a strange team selection, obviously, with Wednesday in mind. Um, but just shocking. Like, to go 68 games unbeaten at home nearly four years and then to have this sort of, that obviously mental fortitude over the last three and a half, four years to, to remain unbeaten, for it just to, to crumble in the way it has. Like, it's not even like we're losing against world beaters. Like, yes, City beat us. Yes, Chelsea beat us. We're a good side. But like Burnley, Brighton, and Fulham have beaten us at home now as well in the last in the last sort of month and a half. There's just no sign of a scoring a goal in open play. So 
turgid, the passing is so slow and just lack any sort of invention. Um, Do you think there's a lack of desire? I think, I think, I think what's happened is like psychologically uh, to have such a, a record like that, like sort of Fortress Anfield, I think for that to go is obviously a real sort of kick in the teeth. The fact it went in the way it did against Burnley of all people, like you didn't sort of go out all guns blazing and lose a, a sort of 4-3 against Chelsea or City. It was a real whimpering loss. I think, you know, that was hard to hard to sort of come around from. I think it was a lot of disappointment. I think it was lots of disappointment at not being able to celebrate a title victory that was 30 years in the making. I think yeah. it was obviously anticlimactic for the squad and um, that obviously worked so hard to topple a, a, an extremely brilliant Manchester City side and had gone close, you know, they'd gone to 97 points and lost the league title. And then to better that again was was sort of unprecedented. You know, like they won 18 out of 19 league games at home last season, nearly won them all if it wasn't for a, a late Salem miss uh, against Burnley at home. And we've already conceded uh, 36 goals this season. Like we conceded 33 in the whole of last season. So, you know, the defence is just shocking. You know, I think it was our 19th centre-back pairing today, um, yep. which is madness. Like, absolutely crazy, the, the sort of bad run of injuries. And I think even on a human level, like, obviously, Alisson has had his father passing and Klopp had his mother passing. If this was any other line of work, these people would be off work. Like, as someone who's lost a parent, I know that I couldn't play a football game a week after you know my dad died so you know I don't know how these people are doing it and maybe they feel they have to but it just feels there should be more of a you know and maybe it's obviously their choice to to, to, to play and to continue and to try and distract themselves and, and all that but it just feels like there's an awful sense of sadness and foreboding and you know we're all down in our luck and you know it is what it, it is what it is like it's hard to watch but I'm just Delighted that we we obviously won the league last season, but this season it's been it's been a real grind. I tell you, um, I don't, I I'm not smart enough to know what is going on with Liverpool. It like just it sounds funny, but it feels like someone, probably Steve, has space jammed them. Um, yeah. that's what it looks like. That's exactly what it looks like. But uh, what's wrong with me is, and Brenton knows this. Is I'm not feeling anything now for this Liverpool team. Liverpool, Liverpool lost to Everton uh, two two weeks ago in the derby, and that hasn't happened in ages for uh, especially at Anfield. So, but if it's happened, it's happened in the FA Cup before at Goodison Park. And I remember it happened Andy Johnson and Pepe Reina that that match really complete hurler, and that ruined my weekend. That used to ruin my weekend when things like that happened. Getting beat by Chelsea would have ruined my night. Um, getting thumped by Man City, that would have wrecked. And I want to feel that again. That sounds silly, like, but I want to be annoyed again, and I'm just not. I'm just feeling nothing, and I, it's it's quite upsetting. Like, I, I wanted to write something about it, and then Simon Hughes wrote something even better about how he's feeling about it, then Athletic, and I advise all fans to read it. Like, but it, And it's not just me picking on VAR here to, to take it just away from Liverpool, because we, we've had some good VAR calls and some different ones. But it just, I feel, and this is me personally, so I don't know how you feel, Paddy, but I feel that despite seeing my team finally win a league title, I've been robbed. But because of, obviously, the situation we're in with the global pandemic. Like, when we won the Champions League, and Liverpool won the Champions League in 2019, I was in your home house, Paddy, with with um, Andrew and Owen, your two little brothers, and my wife, Sarah, and, like... There was tears and there was hugs and there was cuddles and there was kisses and all sorts and dogs getting lifted and tongues dogs tongue in your face and all because that ruby one your dog never stops and like kissing your mum Patty and going absolutely nuts and feeling something like and ringing my dad and two of us crying down the phone. Then it happens the league win happens in July last year, and yeah there was tears, but it was on my own. Do you know what I mean? I was in my back kitchen. The back kitchen I don't even like that I want to bulldoze down and hit the side of. I was sitting there on my own because I couldn't feel anything. And I was hoping then that 
you know, going into this season, I wasn't hoping that we're going to win everything again and all that there, crack, but there was going to be something would happen. And it just feels like this season has just completely spiralled out of control for Liverpool, like in, in a horrific way. And, and now, it, now you just want it to be over. So I've Thanks. stopped watching Liverpool matches, which is not like I grew up being obsessed with this team and I want Finn to grow up like me being obsessed with this team now his granddad Pat Brent's dad might have different um, thoughts because Finn's obsessed with his granddad and his granddad's a Chelsea fan so I might lose that battle but I want Finn to be obsessed by a football team and love it and, and like breathe every minute of a 90 minutes that they're playing and when you're finished the 90 minutes if your team loses being with your mates and thrashing it out with your mates and being like, fucking, I hate that. When they win, going absolutely nuts with your mates for two hours and talking nonsense. And that's just not happening in a minute. And, and yes, it is going to come back, but I'm worried that it's going to come back for some people, but it's going to be too, it's already gone. gone. Do you know what I mean? Whereas they're going to come back and be like, God, I've found something else. Or, you know what, you know what I'm trying to say? It just feels like horrible. And, and your point on Alison and, uh, and clap, and I, I obviously you're one of my best friends. I, I know what happened with your daddy and how heartbreaking that was for everyone. Like, and then this year, like, <laughs> I watched that Spurs game, and Dad was in a, in a coma, and like it was just horrendous. Like I, I said, it was clap when we won. It was great to win, but it was just absolutely horrendous. It was the whole experience, the whole ninety minutes. I never want to experience that ever again. Despite the result, it was just brutal, and I couldn't get them, and I still can't get them because of the pandemic. Rain. So the whole, the whole thing that we're in at the minute with the pandemic, with your football team being shite, with all different things, with VAR annoying every single person. The sooner the top men in football, top men and women in football, the big organisations, FIFA and UEFA, FIFA and UEFA open their eyes and realise this is nonsense the better because it's it's just killing it but that's a different story it's just been it's been horrible like it's been horrendous since uh, the Palace 7-0 clearly when Steve worked his magic in Space Jam Liverpool it has just fallen apart and it's just been it's been really really grim and it's hard to put your finger on it yeah. and hard I to think it's, like I, I, I sort of like nearly classify it like in three ways so like personally Liverpool and then the wider sort of football uh, world so like personally you're talking about sort of feeling that disconnect with with Liverpool and, and it's probably something I think whenever obviously your family have gone through adversity with your, your dad being sick and, and, and I have too I think and you're obviously a dad now you sort of realize there's so many more important things than mm. football you know and you know I think you're able to regulate your emotions a lot better I don't mean you personally, I mean, you know, uh, when certain things happen, you sort of can put things in perspective better. Um, and obviously at the minute, from a Liverpool point of view, Liverpool, again, this is very a Liverpool-centric thing, and, and people know you think this is crazy, but Liverpool is such an emotional club and an emotional city when you're in it. It's like, it feels very, Liverpool feels very different. It's like, it's, it's kind of like a bit of a loony bin, like, you know, it's, everyone's like all or nothing all the time and there's this sort of motion and history and all this sort of like mythologizing everything and you know and that is a really lovely thing to be a part of but at the minute when you don't have those social interactions of being with other Liverpool fans or going to the game or watching in the pub it sort of dims those senses but I prefer it dims the senses for everyone at the minute the current way that football is and, and not being able to see your, your friends your family and go to games and then even on a wider, even wider football sense, like VR is bullshit. And I've, I have found that probably the hardest thing. And I found this last season when Liverpool were, were doing well. This isn't just mm -hmm. a Liverpool are bad and I hate football thing. I've hated that since day one. It's sucking every ounce of the most pure thing in football is that like electric moment when a ball hits the back of the net and you can completely lose it. No matter what's going on in your life, you lose it for... 30 seconds it's like totally unparalleled ecstasy like I, I've never taken drugs but I would imagine it would probably feel like that rush like of adrenaline and emotion and everything but with the VAR you're questioning everything oh he might be off there I might have hit his hand so I'm gonna wait and I don't want I don't want to sort of ruin the surprise for myself it's just it's so stale and I don't know if I'm just fucking rambling shit now but 
I don't know. I have, I'm struggling with football, definitely. No, do you know what? You've called it the, when Luke Shaw scored today. My first thought was not, "Wow, we're two 0 up against City." My first thought was, "I think Rashford's offside." Um, yeah. <laughs> I think this is coming back, and like that's just such a horrible feeling. It's not. It's not football. And the Simon Hughes piece today was really, really good. And like, look, every fiber of my being, like one wants to kind of slag Liverpool and to be like really like you know pick at that like scar or scab or whatever but like I really can't because we're all we're all in this shit together like my parents are 60 next year right they went almost half their life they're both massive Liverpool fans they went almost half their life without seeing Liverpool win the title they used to go to Liverpool games all the time they had to watch Liverpool win the league on their own in their house because we were in lockdown they couldn't even go to the pub with their friends. You know, they're they're in a Liverpool supporters group. That's that's just not the way football is supposed to be. It's not the way you're supposed to celebrate. And like, and look, don't get me wrong. Like, as a as a United fan, I was delighted I didn't have to put up with the open top bus tour of Dublin that Liverpool fans were organising. Like, but at the same time, like I'm I'm a human being. I know what football means to people. And the greatest trick I ever pulled myself, uh, like on myself, was I, I was a professional sports journalist for for seven years, and I told myself that football didn't mean that anymore because it was a job now. Like you know, I had to be this passion. I had to, but like like Phil said, if United lost to Liverpool, that was my weekend ruined. Like absolutely just gone. I didn't want to talk to anyone, think about anything. And now it's kind of, I can see that with Liverpool fans. Like, I can see, like, one of my best mates is a huge Liverpool fan. And, like, he just hates sport, full stop. Not just football or sport. He he did not get the release that you should have gotten as Liverpool fans for basically your entire lives waiting for them to win the league. And that's really hard to come back from. And I'm wondering for the players as well, like, because you said, like, Liverpool is a different club and you can slag that this means more and, and all of that, like, stuff if you want. But it does mean more. You can tell, like, Anfield, full, is a 12th player. It absolutely is. It, there's no other ground like it. Like, it makes a difference. And when when the Liverpool players don't have that to kind of, feed off but also ha- you know they would any player who signs for Liverpool Klopp made this point in his press conference this week he, he wants players who aren't thinking about Champions League football who aren't thinking about personal success they're thinking about the success of the club and they're thinking about what they can do for their team like if the players buy into that and then all of a sudden all of that is gone it has to have an effect and that's why I think mm-hmm. you know if if this was if this was FIFA or a championship manager, like you just sim the rest of the season, you get it over with. Like, but at the same time, like Liverpool are lucky they're on forty three points because in a yep. normal season that sort of points total, and they may well be struggling. Like, no, I don't think they'd ever like they're not going down. But like, that's a really incredibly like it doesn't. Where's the next win coming from? That's the that's the thing I don't see. Like, I don't see how they turn this around. Unless he really raids the under twenty trees and just drops the big tree up front, because like I mean, Salah today for that goal, like that that was pathetic. Like that's the only word for it. Like it was just so poor from him on the edge of the box. Like Oxley Chamberlain is has gone from one of the best fullbacks in the world to basically a one trick pony who can't defend. Like you're seeing all these things, and like my one concern, and I say this as a concern, like. Part of me is secretly delighted. Don't get me wrong. Like, is <laughs> like <laughs> losing's a habit. Like, just look at Man United for the last seven years. When you like look at the way I talk about, you know, United having a like, you become so pessimistic and you become so downbeat about losing. And you know, no matter what the sport is, no matter how good you have been, getting back there again is really difficult. Like, especially when you drop as low as Liverpool have dropped now. Um, Obviously, not playing Champions League football next year will probably be a blessing because you can just focus on the league. I actually, like, people are calling us brilliant Liverpool in the Champions League. I think it's actually going to benefit Liverpool because they won't have, like, they're not going to put out a decent team in the Europa League. They're not so scared. Like, um, so I just, 
like there's a, there's a lot going on there but i think you're right it, it's the it's the wider context of the world it's not being able to you know as phil said watching watching liverpool win the title for the, like basically the first time in his life on his own like that's not the way you're supposed to celebrate success like it's just not natural and so i can completely see why liverpool fans i don't even know how anyone anyone who is a liverpool fan is even watching games at the moment because it, it just must be so difficult I'm I'm not. I'm just I'll watch possibly the Leipzig game, but I haven't watched. Uh, I can't remember the last one I watched. I sat down and watched the Liverpool game. I just think I said on here as well. I've just checked out. I've just see you. I'll come back next year. Hopefully, hopefully I will. Um, and I'll start enjoying it again. But my worry would be, um, we will move on, and I'm I'm sure Brent wants to come in here as well. My worry would be. For Liverpool, with something and that that we weren't stuck in the middle of a global pandemic, obviously. But thirty years ago, after the last title, Douglas experienced um, not as bad a run in, in any way, but he experienced a bit of a bad run. Then he had the the derby at Everton Cup, and he was still grieving Hillsborough and all the work he had done for the families of Hillsborough that was still playing its toll on him, and it all came too much, and he just walked. And Liverpool went into a spiral, and that was it. Boom. Sunez came in, he was horrendous. Yeah, Roy Evans came in, he sort of started the ship, nothing really happened. Then Julio, and then you know what happened next, and then it took the stage to come back. And I would just worry that Liverpool, and I'm talking about the owners here as well, are just going to get caught, stuck in that uh, horrible place again, and not react quick enough. So they're going to have to have a big summer, which, you know. They've had big summers before, but then they get stuck, and then they'll just fall further behind, and they'll never regather it, and there'll be another case of waiting another while to, to be successful again. So it, it's, it's a humongous summer, for Klopp and Liverpool coming up. It is, it is. I think COVID uh, hit at the precisely wrong time for Liverpool. We've already spoken about the sort of not getting the celebratory release, but financially, the way Liverpool have built it in in such a sort of sound way, and and they. They sort of uh, run run a pretty tight ship, and they, they rely on obviously the TV money is a big part of it, but the ground and and everything to generate funds and sell players to get money to reinvest into the squad. There's not the same money floating around Liverpool or the wider sort of footballing community at the minute. Like the big two in Spain aren't going to come in and spend 100 million on Salah that that's going to fund our next Van Dijk and Allison. That's a worry. We're not going to have the money to reinvest. Now, I trust Klopp, I trust FSG to hopefully sort things out, but I think it's not going to be going and spending 100 million on Haaland, much to my dismay. It's going to be going and trying to unearth another rough diamond somewhere and trying to build. And you've just got to sort of trust Michael Edwards and the recruitment team to try and get this round. But it's going to be, it's going to be, be tough. But, you know, we'll see. What do you make of it all, Brenton? I think a, a big thing is even for people um, who aren't Liverpoolians or aren't going to be there is not having the fans in the stadium, um, even this season. I mean, I know I know about the not being there to celebrate the title, but um, you get a different feeling even when you're watching a game with fans, even if you're not going to be there. Um, and... You know, you see the little interactions. You see how players feed off them, um, the the noise. You know, the groans, um, everything like that. Um, and as like people have already said, Anfield is probably the place where that makes the most difference. You know, whether it is full of people, um, it's going to affect them so positively. And now we're seeing that um, if it is empty, it's probably the place that is affected most negatively. Um, and I think, you know, Steve said last week about the Etihad, you know, never really sounds good, even when there, there is fans in it. So it hasn't affected City that much. And that's maybe um, part of the reason why they're running away with it, because they're kind of used to it. Like, um, But yeah, I think it's just, a, it's just a real write-off for Liverpool this season. It's just like, their absolute nightmare season. Everything has has gone against them, um, but I, I don't think it's it's catastrophic in in the long term. I think once they get fans back in, 
um, once you know they get this season over with them and, and get a full preseason. Um, and obviously Van Dyke back. It it all stems back to to when that happened. Um, and even you know, there's been periods of the season where they've had other big players missing. It's always the they seem to have been the player at, that they needed the most at the time got injured and Stejad even when he came in when he came back in um he looks bright and he looks fresh and you know hopefully he'll have a good end of the season without an injury so um yeah I think it's just uh all these things added up and it's not going their way this year um but I think they'll be back they'll be They'll be well in the top four next season. Um, someone connected to Liverpool Football Club has had a decent weekend. Uh, I think it'd be remiss of us to not uh, talk about Steven Gerrard uh, winning the league title with Rangers. Um, obviously, from our little pocket of the world, that's quite a volatile environment, and none of us follow anyone in Scotland. Uh, the Irish League's better, um, but it's quite the achievement, I think. For him to go and do that, to finally go and do it, it's and I didn't think he could have had it in him, if I'm honest. Um, I'm not saying, oh, I, I know Steve is itching for him to take over Liverpool. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> saying I want that to ever happen. I, I, I don't still at the minute. Um, but I still think for him to do that, it, it's fair play to him. Like it's, it's, it's some effort. Absolutely. Anyone can jump in. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Like I know. Um. You know, people say, "Oh, Celtic sort of have had bad luck with with injuries and, and and COVID and things," but they've absolutely stormed the league, like they're twenty points clear of, of Celtic, and they've conceded two home goals this season. They've and I've watched a few of their games in Europe. They've been pretty good, like really good to watch. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, they've got a few a few really exciting attacking players. Like Ryan Kent looks brilliant. I know, I know, he's maybe wasn't good enough at, at sort of high-end Premier League level, but he's been fantastic for them. Giannis Hadji's a clever wee player. Morelos is like a sort of, you know, uh, not in the same bracket, but a Suarez-type pest of a player um, that scores a lot of goals and with sort of a really strong midfield. Like, I love watching Joe Rebo. I think his feet are amazing. And Glenn Kamara's got some engine. Stephen Davis, fantastic footballer. They're good to watch, like, and, um, you know, I'm by no means a, a fan of them or any Scottish team, but I think, as you said, be remiss not to not to credit a pretty spectacular season by them, um, and who knows how far they'll go in the in the Europa League. But uh, yeah, be interesting to see what happens at, at on the other side of Glasgow now at Celtic and who'll take over there, and and how long Gerard might stay there. But um, yeah, they've, they've been phenomenal. I think eventually he will. It's probably it's gonna happen that he will eventually, I'd imagine, take over Liverpool. But I think it was Jimmy Carragher I'd said the other day, um, that you know he should stay at Rangers for a couple of seasons, and and I would I would echo that as well. I think he should he should stay there and and keep building away and keep building away, and then possibly move two or three seasons down the line if he's had more continued success for Rangers. And the European thing is something I'd touch on. I'm more impressed with it. Than what he's maybe done. I know they've just won the league title in, in ages, um, but I'm more impressed with it um, because even last year they were excellent. I think they got the last 16 as well, and, and this year they're there again, and, and they've been super at times. Games like the Royal Antwerp game was mental, um, yeah, but was. they're playing Prague next, who, who knocked out Leicester. So, I mean, if they come through that, um, they mean business. And, and, and if he can, I think, if, pardon me, if, if he can take this Rangers squad to the semi-final of the Europa League this year, then that'll be some going, and he'll have, he'll potentially have Champions League next year as well to go through and, and see how they get on in there. So, I think, obviously, a lot of Liverpool fans will want them to come and manage him, and that's fair enough. I just have, just have the fear that if it went wrong, it would tarnish everything that he did for the club, um, playing wise. I just, I, I just can't really face that. Like so, um, but. If he goes into that next year and goes into the Champions League, it's another learning curve, and he does well in that again. I mean, you're gonna—it's gonna be very hard for people to to write him off, especially. It'd be interesting to see how he goes, but as you said, I'm sure uh, across the way in Glasgow, uh, they're already planning to try and come back next year and and take that title back. So, if you're into it, it could, it could be an interesting 
uh, chase next year in Scotland. So we'll see what happens. I think Gerrard's in a really tough position um, because I think Carragher's right. I think he has to stay in Scotland until the Liverpool job becomes available because say Roy Hodgson retires at the end of this season, which people are talking about, and that's not just because I'm watching Crystal Palace on TV right now. But say he does and Gerrard takes over and he just has a mediocre performance with Crystal Palace, then he never gets the Liverpool job. Regard, like No Liverpool fan, regardless of his history with the club, is going to say... Oh, the guy that like kept Crystal Palace seventeenth uh, in the Premier League. Do we really want him as our next manager? So I think his next move is going to be really interesting. But I have to say, I never saw this uh, performance coming from Jared as a manager. I thought he was going to be like in the kind of Roy Keane mold of management, where like nobody under him was as good as he was as a player. So he's going to find them really hard to manage. But he's absolutely proved me wrong in that. Like and defensively they're so sound as well I know Patrick was talking about how, how good they look going forward and that, like they've got some nice attacking players they only conceded nine goals this season that's that's just incredible regardless of the standard of what you think of Scottish football and I think we we all probably think that the Irish League and the League of Ireland down down here are, are, are probably not that a million miles off the standard far outside the top two but like it's still really really good to, to concede that few goals this yeah. late season so yeah, I think the European thing will be like really interesting to look at. I think they've got a nice draw there in in Slavia Prague, um, and you could, they absolutely could make their way to a semi final. You could see comfortably, and I think that's much more telling, um, because when was the last time Celtic looking at it from the other point of you know the other side in in Glasgow? Like when was the last time Celtic made a, a really good run? Like it, we're going back a long way for for that kind of run for Celtic. So, um, I think it's all overall positive, but he just has to be really careful uh, about his next move. He he really doesn't want to let it slip. If you forgive the pun. Ah, oh, Stephen, you dirty brute. Ooh. I knew you'd behave bold at some point. Like I knew you couldn't. Um, what, Brenton, there's a bit of a, a bit of a big game on. Actually, I've just noticed in the league table tomorrow night involving yourselves and Everton. Um, one point in it now. Everton have a game in hand, so. I mean, if Chelsea can win that tomorrow night, uh, really solidify, well, not solidify, but really push them in, in that top four race. And the Spurs are winning 3-1 at the minute um, against Crystal Palace. What's your thoughts going into tomorrow night's game to sort of finish off this week's podcast? Yeah, it, it is. It's a big game. Um, I would say, you know, probably two of the most informed teams in the league at the moment. Everton um, going really well. They've ground out a couple of couple of one nil wins in uh, the past couple of games so um and Chelsea obviously looking very solid I had that big win over Liverpool um but yeah you're right this is this is a big game for Chelsea in terms of they've had Atletico United Liverpool and now Everton and when Tuchel has talked about it he's always talked about it in you know in that group together um after United, he talked about with Liverpool and then with Everton. Um, after Liverpool, he, he referred to the Everton game. So, um, yeah, um, uh, I mean, we don't know this season, but Chelsea have been very good at, at not conceding under Tuchel. Um, but they do need to need to start doing stuff up the other end of the pitch. Um, and it'll be interesting to see who he... You know he's left Tommy Abraham out of the out of the squad the last two games. He has had a slight niggle, um, but I can see Giroud coming back in there. That I think that was a very, um, uh, you know, he set up on purpose against Liverpool to play Werner through the middle because of the way they play. Um, but yeah, pr- pretty confident going into that game um, because, as I say, Chelsea then um, have a little bit of an easier run in the league. Um, I think they've Sheffield United, West Brom coming up at some stage. Um and obviously the second leg of, of the Atletico game. Um but you're right, this would it would put them in in a good, good position um going into this last sort of ten games. Um because I think everyone else there and behind uh are gonna be kind of fighting each other. Um because we've seen West Ham drop points and Villa drop points there during the week as well 
um, as you say, Spurs are coming up, so that you can sort of see the the cream rising a bit. Um, but Spurs, Everton, and Chelsea probably between the three of them. So that's that's it's probably a, just with the form Liverpool are in. It's probably a bigger game than the Liverpool game was for Chelsea. I think it'd be a cracking game. Is Thiago Silva going to be fit? <sighs> Who knows? But you know. Don't think it matters that much now because, uh, as you probably well, I don't know if you saw it or not. It even highlights, but Andres Christensen was was superb against Liverpool. Um, yeah, so the highlights. Yeah, he, was, he was unreal. Uh, ever since Thiago Silva's been injured, he stepped into that role and, and has played those big games that that Thiago Silva has missed. Um, and he's got he's got a couple of man of the matches, so um, not that big of a worry. Um, the issue really for me will be Kante. Uh, I know Tuchel has talked about in the past couple of days managing his minutes and you know whether Everton is the right game to rest him in I'm not sure uh, but they certainly don't want to have him injured for, for the run-in because he's been outstanding as well uh, the past few games he's he's got up his fitness and they just need to manage him correctly now So that's tomorrow night uh, strange times that's at 6 o'clock isn't it tomorrow night um, usually, six o'clock, yeah, before West Ham leads, which will be another good game. Um, I mean, six o'clock Monday night is Burnley slots. I don't really know. I don't really know how why that's happened. Um, that's really strange in the league to do that. But yes, yeah, six o'clock. So everybody be racing home from work uh, to see that game. I, I think that is probably us covered. Um, for for this week. Uh, that was our uh, goodness. And arguing, and and myself and Paddy got a lot off our chest there, folks. Thanks oh, for listening. That was a therapy session for you. <laughs> that was good therapy. Oh, I actually, feel unreal after it. You finished on that six o'clock kickoff. That's another bullshit thing about football. Six o'clock kickoff <laughs> on a Monday. Scrap that shit too. <laughs> I was devastated when there was no football on Friday night because I've gotten so used to Premier League football on Friday. Yes, night. I was disgusted with Premier League for not judging the game. I I absolutely love that there is Irish League on a Friday night now. It is it is made my Friday night. I mean, Sarah does not agree, but I just say oh, I have to do it for work research. I mean, she doesn't listen to this podcast anyway. She never is. I don't like. Uh, I've I've worked on one of those games once, so I don't. But I, I just say it to it, and then there it goes up on the screen. I get to watch Irish League, so I I really enjoy a Friday night football match. I think I absolutely despise a late Sunday night football match. Um. And I hate a take tea time kickoff on a Monday. Yeah. Can't can't have it. Can't and I cannot have it. So um, I think hopefully going next next season they'll change that. But I do I would like them to keep Friday nights as long as they weren't asking away fans to travel the length and breadth of England, whereas they kept it sort of regional. But we shall see. Um Steve, as always, you did you, you behaved very well tonight and thank you very much. More than welcome. That's because I spent most of the show wondering. I don't know. If, uh, like, I don't expect anyone listening to this follows me on Twitter. But I was wondering earlier on, like, what percentage of identical twins are not the twin they were named when they were born? And I, been, I, I thought about that earlier, and it's been on my mind for like four hours now. I can't stop thinking of it. <laughs> what the fuck? Right. Um. Actually, well, I don't know. That is a- huge because, like. I get my two sons mixed up and there's seven years between them. So, like, I, <laughs> parents of identical twins, I don't know how to do it. Um, <laughs> Patrick, thanks as always for joining and having a therapy session with myself. No problem. And on the identical twins, isn't it kind of weird that people dress their twins exactly the same? I don't know what I'd do if I had identical twins. Do you dress them the same or, or do you try and dress them differently and tell them apart? I don't know. But you've got them ahead. Yeah, like, if you dress them differently to tell them apart that's fine but then they go into the bat and they get confused as to which one's which like i don't know how parents of twins do it at all i right enough you'd maybe you know what i do now, this isn't this podcast but it's gonna stay in this because it's good good content if i had two boys so if we two twin boys well i mean firstly i mean at least i'll i'll probably have to get help but um because finn's torture enough but i would shave a mohawk or get brenton to shave a mohawk into one of them and then I would recognise the two of them from there. So one of them would constantly have a mohawk and one of them would have whatever head of her he was given. And that's how I'd tell it. So regardless of what happens then until there are certain needs, and you're like, all right, do what you want. But I'd come home someday and they'd both have it shaved off and then I'd be absolutely goosed. 
I think there's a niche in the market or a gap in the market for like baby tattoos. Surely baby <laughs> should start getting tattoos. <laughs> okay. Well, I look forward to social services calling me when this podcast goes out. <laughs> um, Brenton, the boss man, as always, thank you very much. No problem. As the editor of this podcast, I don't think anyone's going to hear that final three minutes anyway. So. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we, we hopefully, we, we should be back later on with a bonus podcast. More details about that coming out um, later on in the week. Uh, part, part of our series. Uh, um, outpost for goalpost, Paddy, we're going with? Or, uh, Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who knows anyway one of those um, and catch us on the Patreon at the football babble forward slash patreon dot com wrong way around but you're close enough oh my god and get us across all your podcast apps just look for football babble pod speak to you during the week folks enjoy the rest of your weekend and the rest of your football during the week and good luck <laughs>